Welcome to the Entrepreneur's MBA, bringing you lessons from real-life entrepreneurs they don't teach in business school. Here's your host, business coach and marketing strategist, Adam Kipnis. Every business is always evolving. Whether you are in a place where you're growing and growing or whether you are consistently you think staying the same. Your business is evolving, your culture is evolving, your employees are evolving. So how do you make that all work? How do you com complete that? How do you stay on top of it? We're gonna talk to one of the leading experts in culture, a leading expert in employee engagement and a leading expert in doing a lot of things because she's got a bachelor's in psychology, she's got a master's in accounting, she has her own podcast, her own businesses, she's coached and developed numerous business leaders across the country. She's interviewed C-suite executives, many names that you know, Julianne Sullivan. Thanks for joining the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast today. Thanks, Adam. I'm, I'm excited to be here. I'm glad you think I have any answers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we all have answers, but we all have some answers. Right. And I have information and some <laughs> will fit for some, right? And some for others. Exactly. Right. Sometimes we don't know the question but the answer is there. That's correct. Very it. good. Right. And so going back in, in your business and entrepreneurial journey, you started on a traditional path studying psychology, which isn't really a typical entrepreneur's <laughs> degree. I right. would say uh, it's more something people are born into. How did that, how did that part start for you? Uh, when I, I, when I went to college, I was in California and I went to junior college because I didn't know what the heck I wanted to do. So that was just an easy path for me to take. And it was a great path because besides saving money, um, I got to experience a lot of different areas of study so I could see what I wanted to do. For instance, I started off thinking I wanted to be an English major until I had a professor that I really didn't like at all and totally turned me off to that, right? And I ended up taking a psych class and I loved it because I've always been a soul searcher. So it was a good fit for me. Uh, and I went on to a four-year college, California State University at Northridge and got a good degree in developmental psychology. And that just opened up the doors for me and I decided that I would deliberately learn about human behavior every day, which I have done, either about myself or others. But I make it a point. That's why I said a deliberate choice to learn about human behavior. Um, it, I'm sure it's made me a better human being. And it's certainly given me an edge when dealing with anything that I do at work. Um, uh, and then I ran away and lived in a ski resort because that's what you do when you have a degree in psychology. <laughs> <laughs> I went to Europe with a history and poli sci degree. So exactly, I, I understand. Right? I understand. <laughs> and I became a maid in a hotel and, uh, believe it or not, learned some really good lessons up there about what I wanted and what I didn't want. And even about culture before I ever really thought about it. For instance, when I got to be the head maid at a uh, condo complex, I had a boss that was negative all the time. Everything out of his mouth was neg, neg, neg. And one day 
at you know 23 years old with not enough money to have a bank account i looked at him and said bob you're so negative every you never have anything positive to say even when things are going well and he put his hand on his hips and he said well if you don't like it you can quit because that's the way it's going to be and in that moment i i say i open my mouth and and a millennial demon came out <laughs> way before millennials and i said okay today's my last day now i had really no skills i didn't know what i was going to do but I knew even then that wasn't a way to live every day. So it's kind of funny now to use that story when I do presentations because somewhere in my head, I knew that wasn't the way to have a, a workforce, right? Right. And it's interesting that you, that you bring that up because it doesn't sound, at least it doesn't sound like to me, that you translated it to business. You just translated it to life at that point. Exactly. Exactly. And and so you're skiing all day, you have no job, you've got this sort of epiphany that, what, what was it John Lennon said that his teacher said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, I want to be happy. And she said, I don't think you understand the question. And he said, I don't <laughs> yes, think I you do. understand life. Yeah. Um, right. That was sort of your epiphany at that point was, I'm studying people. I want to be a better person every day. I want to learn about people every day. How I don't that... want to be treated like crap every day. Well, <laughs> I think that's the way we should all live our lives. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so some, really somehow, important. even when I was young and inexperienced with no money to back me up, I knew that. And <clears throat> so anyway, I did that. I did stay in Mammoth for seven years total. That was the ski resort I lived in. It was wonderful, but that's a whole other podcast. Um, and then, as my mother used to say, I came off the mountain and uh, went back to school. My last job in the ski resort was uh, bookkeeping. And I thought it was fun. I thought it was like a puzzle. That's the way I translated it. Yeah. I came off the mountain and got my MBA in accounting and eventually got my CPA. And that's how I got into accounting where I thought I would work in public accounting all the time, but I was a controller for a while and I worked in public and I worked in private and I taught and did presentations. I did so many different types of work within accounting and finance and really learned how businesses function. When I decided I didn't want to learn one more aspect about accounting, I just had it up to here. I was working with a friend of mine who was a partner in an accounting firm. And I said, I got to go because you got to always keep learning. And I didn't want to learn. When I got out of that, I, uh, the phrase employee engagement had just popped up. And I realized I had a very unique view of business. I knew people and I knew functionality. And that's how I started down that path. And did that come from, with your human behavior, behavior background and accounting, which is very analytical and very finite. Very um, right, 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 right yeah, and left. Exactly. Right. One's super expansive and one, in many cases, is not. And it translates to employee engagement. Did, did you do that from a personal standpoint, meaning your employee engagement? Or did you see the others around you? 
and bring that together? How did that topic manifest, I guess, in your brain to decide, I want to learn more about this. I think this is my path. Well, first I decided I wanted to become a professional speaker because I had letters from people saying what, what <laughs> with great responses from other presentations I had made. I was always doing presentations, whether it was in accounting or life. And um, I was a Toastmaster and I have a fuzzy file, which I still have today and recommend for everyone. When people write you letters and testimonials and send you cards, save them for that blue day so you can open them up and realize, you know, the good you've been doing. Um, sometimes just knowing you have that file. But anyway, I looked in there and said, oh, I'm going to become a professional speaker, having no idea what that meant. And when I was looking for my expertise, I came up with the three C's, communication, collaboration, and change. And that's where I started and kind of went down that path. That was 2009. It was probably 2010 when I heard the phrase employee engagement and I started to do Google alerts about it because I'm always a research freak. And I started to realize I understood that, especially from the communication background. And that's always been the foundation. I'd say 80% of the work I do in coaching is communication. Um, anyway, so I went down that path and eventually employee engagement filtered into the employee experience. How do you engage from the time you post a job to an exit interview? Because you really do want to keep engaging people even at that end. Yep, it's very important. And then the word culture came out, which to me is the umbrella over the employee experience and the employee engagement. So it, it grew. And then with my podcast, um, I started a podcast about people's superpowers because I have a belief that most people don't know a lot of the powers they have or they lost them along the way. And then that morphed into a special series called Businesses That Care where I started reaching out because I was running in circles where I was meeting these C-suite leaders. And I started to interview them about their award-winning cultures and what they did and how they sustained them. And then that became the total focus of my podcast. And also it was as if I was doing mini case studies by interviewing these people talking them to before and after many of them I have continued relationships with. And I bet you learned a, a, a ton just because every business is a little bit different. Every culture is a little bit different. And I want to, before we get to sort of digging into culture and how do we understand the culture of our own businesses, I want to talk a little bit about yours because you're doing, you're doing speaking and you've got your podcast and those are two different channels and your people are then engaging you saying, Hey, Julianne, I could use some help here. So it morphs into a coaching business. As you were thinking about your career, when did you businessify all of this? Were those different businesses each or was it one sort of large business? Did you think, when did you think about it as a business? 
versus just I'm speaking and giving great information and helping people? Actually, when I joined the National Speakers Association, because they're based in not only how you speak, but having a speaking business. And I realized I could have different segments of my business, consulting, speaking, writing, podcasting, coaching. They really opened me up to that. And then here's a key point that I don't care what size business you have. You've got to listen to what your public is saying they want and what they want from you. Uh, if they say to you again and again, gee, I wish you did coaching, maybe you're not a good fit for coaching, but if you are, go down that path. Some people don't wanna do that, that's fine. Right. But I love coaching because I'm a relationship person. So I get to build a relationship as I continue to coach people over a year, two years or whatever. And um, when people started asking me for that, I started to do research. What would it take for me to be a coach? What kind of agreement do I need? How do I need to cover myself so it's not really therapy? And I just started reaching out to people who were coaches, right? Seems so a, that I would seems be like prepared. A smart thing to do. Seems yeah. like a smart thing to do. And right. with your psychology background, um, you, you mentioned therapy. How did you not make it become therapy? Because you had that background. You're always seeking to understand human behavior and probably help people transform their own behavior. How did you make it about the business and not solely about them and their personal problems? Well, first of all, they overlap. And I, I rarely talk to people about their personal issues. I mean, I say rarely, I might listen to them vent about, I had to be home with my kids for the last nine weeks, right? <laughs> right. But that's part of my coaching session is there's a vent space. And I'm not okay. really coaching men, I'm just letting them vent. I never allow anyone to pull me into any personal issues they have. I just say, I'm not qualified, sounds like you might, blah, 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 right? Yep. Um, but having said that, what we deal with, with how they act and react at work, obviously flows over into their personal life. That makes sense. And, and it all leads back to that internal culture of the business, the personal, the development, the changes going on in the, the world and the economy. And right now, uh, for those of you listening live or uh, we're going through the, the COVID land, if you're two years in the future and you're still listening to this, right, you remember what we went through, cultures are being exposed. And uh, whether it's because you have to lay off people or because you're trying to get them to work although they might make less money if, because sales aren't there. There's all of these things going on. When you're talking to people today about their culture, there are probably people you talk to and everything seemed great and now they're being exposed. What are some things that people can do to expose the culture to themselves in advance of challenges? I'm gonna say the number one aspect in any company, and this goes for even if you're a sole proprietor, because you 
still have a team unless you do everything yourself, which I certainly don't. Um, I have somebody who works on my website. I have somebody who prints my materials. I have somebody who produces the production piece of my an editing of my podcast and I could go on and on, but I just want people to understand. You may say I work alone, not really, right? Cause you need to maintain relationships with those people. And I'm going to say the number one way to do that is communicate. I have called every single person that I work with my printer. How are you guys doing? One, I'm concerned about them Two, Whenever I need printing, are they going to be around? Or do I need to be looking for something else? Right? So it's, it's two-sided, but I am. I've been friends with them. I've had the same printer for 15 years. I want to know how they're doing. It's a three-person shop. I care about those people. And communication in companies that have already had great cultures, what they're doing is they're communicating even more because we're not passing people in the halls anymore. We're not having on-site meetings every Friday, which probably a lot of people are going, yay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, think we, I think we missed some of the on-site meetings, but yeah. I understand. But people are, they're communicating more and a portion of their communication has nothing to do with the business. It has to do with how are you? What's going on in your life? Give me a something that's challenging you and something that's bringing you joy right now. Just that question to each person on your team and your company or whatever makes engages people and tells people they care about me as a human being. That's, that's always a great idea. Right now it's critical. Agreed. And there's a, there's a fine line, and it's maybe not a fine line when you get into it, but there's a fine line between communicating and dictating. And many leaders of whether it's organizations, whether it's departments within a large company, they, they may come to you and say, I communicate every day with my team. But it's dictating, this is what we're doing. These are the rules. This is what we should be thinking about. So communication is sure a you have four sales by the end of the day. Right. I, everyone knows what they're supposed to be doing. But the, the return communication side of it is sometimes not visible to the person doing the dictating. Right. Uh, I know that senior leaders, you interview C-suite people, people get fired from that job because they dictate, not communicate. So when you think about that in the organizations that you work with, whether it's a one-person organization dictating to their clients or to their vendors, how do you help them understand that and see that in themselves? Because I'm sure that's a big thing that is a challenge with a number of your clients. One of my favorite things to say is, how's that working for you? But once we delve into what is your communication style, I help people understand that their style is not everyone else's style. And this is becoming acutely apparent now that everybody is different. Everybody is dealing with what's going on differently. But that's true every day in a company anyway whether it be sales are going up or sales are going down. Everybody deals with challenges 
differently and everyone has unique stories going on behind the scenes. We can't ignore those because they affect our lives. 50 years ago, 50, yeah, 50 years ago, the adage was leave your private life at home. That never really happened, but that's what was said, right? That was the intention. Right. We know now, and really good cultures deal with the fact that nobody leaves their private life at home, just like they don't leave their business at work. They take it home. And now, <laughs> during this pandemic, it's true for everybody, right? Everything's all mixed together. It's important to find out if your kids are sick or you have a relative that had COVID. But that was always important, even in a regular, what we knew as normal work situation, it's important to create an environment where people can say, my mom has cancer and I need to take care of her. As opposed to being in an environment where I am pushed to leave that at home. You're gonna get much more out of me if I can be honest. We're talking with Julie Sel Julianne Sullivan on the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast with Adam Kipnis and talking about culture and not only in today's COVID world, but, but in general, all businesses have cultures. Now, I want to ask you a little question because you're sort of going down that line of there's a little bit more caring or seems to be a little bit more caring in today's world because of the pandemic that we're in and conversations are starting with the personal not just the business. And there's an understanding that we might have to take some time off or do things a little bit differently. As someone who's studied human behavior for as deeply as you have and for as long as you have, what kind of systemic changes are you seeing or versus superficial? How, and, and how do we know? Well, first of all, it's too early to tell. It's just like the research, right? <laughs> It'll take time. Um, I have seen, again, people who already have really good cultures are, um, are thriving through this challenge because they already had that in place. But let me, let me give you this example of how I think systemically this might have some uh, forever change. Again, I'm going to use two schools. One school is going to be, it is so important for me to communicate and, and keep engaging my employees because we will get to the other side. It could be six months. It could be a year and a half, right? Yep. We will get to the other side. And I like my employees. They do a good job for me. And how can I engage them in a way that they'll still be here when we need them? Then there's a school over here. Look at all these people on unemployment. We don't need to care about culture because there'll be so many people looking for work. Here's my thought, and it's just a thought, but I really believe it. Whenever this other end is, no matter what the world looks like, there are still gonna be a limited amount of people to do the work that you need to be done. Before this all started, 
the employee pool was shrinking. One, the birth rate has been going down for years and it looks like it will continue. Number two, you can go to college and get a degree in entrepreneurship, right? Which yep. doesn't mean you're gonna go have a corporate job. And three, especially with what's happening right now, even more people are realizing, well, I'll just start my new business. I have a computer, I have Zoom, I have Facebook, I have YouTube. It doesn't cost me any money and I can make money. So there'll be even more people. So that employee pool, even though there's a lot of people unemployed right now, in the end is gonna be even smaller. If you, again, if you wait, the longer you wait to create a brand, because I remind people, your culture is your brand, your reason for people to stay with you and to come to work for you. And that's not going to change. We may be able to forget about it for a while, but that just means it'd be harder for you to revamp right and and do that at a later date so i think there's either people who are going to realize it even more there'll be some people who really haven't thought about culture who are going to understand it's more important and then there's going to be others i had somebody <laughs> approach me the other day and say they had a friend that wanted to work with this company on culture and then she said they believe 80, 80% turnover is okay. And my advice was run as fast as you can. There is nothing you can do for them, I don't think. Right, someone who can accept that much turnover. Again, I think any challenges, whether it be a pandemic, a new CEO, a new software, sometimes a new copier, Challenges always make people more of what they already are. So this will either make people shine or people will recognize what a horrible place it is to work even more. And it's interesting that you say that, not the horrible place to work part, but the understanding part. Now with my clients, I do uh, primarily strategic planning. Where are you now? Where do you want to go? And what are the steps to get there? And I'm that person that creates those steps to get there to make sure it happens. One of the hardest parts is getting business owners to be real and truthful about where they are. Oh, if you yeah. don't know, right? Business owners that are successful think they're going out of business any minute. Business owners that are struggling tell everyone in the world how great business is, right? They're not really clear on where they are and they won't admit it to themselves. When translating that to culture, I would bet a majority of small businesses, and I'm talking small, 20 people are under, you know, 500,000 to 5 million in revenue, don't think a ton about culture and probably couldn't tell you what their culture is other than from their own personal point of view because they may not have studied it. Where do people go? Where do they start to understand culture, right? Employee engagement, you can take a survey, but on culture is a feel. Where do they go? They can call you, they can read your books, uh, The Catalyst of Culture among others, um, but where do they go to figure out where I am today in terms of culture so they can begin to adapt or change their culture to where they wanna go? I think it's really important to note 
that each business has to have their own aha moment. For years, I tried reaching out to companies that really didn't understand how important, uh, important culture was. And thank goodness my mastermind friends said something like, why don't you go over there and hit your head against the wall? It's just as useful, right? <laughs> right. So every company has to have their, I can't make them have their aha moment. But when they have it, there is a plethora of articles, books, videos, uh, consultants like myself that can help them on that journey. They must realize it is a journey. You don't have someone come in and give a presentation and your culture will change. If someone tells you that, don't go there. That's like buying, you know, swampland in Florida, right? Um, I don't want to get letters on Florida. I was just using a euphemism. <laughs> but anyway, um, it's a journey. You have to make that deliberate choice. I am going to build, construct a culture from this point forward. And I know I'm at ground zero. I might be at ground minus 20 because if you haven't really worked on a culture, You've got one going and you may have to twist it, right? You can't go to your workforce and say, we're going to build a new culture where everyone is engaged and happy. And then everyone's going to go, yay, that, that's not, not going to happen. You have to have a plan. Once you have your aha moment, and this is the number one step working with me, is we make a plan. And usually the way I do that is I have leadership take a survey and the workforce take a survey, the same survey I created. It's not something that's out there. I talk to the principals involved and find out, you know, get a, do my research, find out who they are, create this unique survey to them and then I look at leadership's responses and workforce responses, and I have never found them to be the same. That's where we start our plan. This, then I know where the disconnects are and we can move forward from there. I love that because that's, that's a very specific thing that, that everyone can do. And whether you have a culture of one or, or a business of one or a business of, of thousands, the same tactics hold true. So I yep. appreciate you laying that out. Julianne, thanks so much for being on the podcast today, being live on Facebook. Hopefully some people are watching and not noticing my hair. Uh, I really <laughs> appreciate you just bringing something that is so important that we don't always think about. So thank you for that. Thank you, Adam. It was my pleasure. You're welcome. And thanks everyone for listening to today's episode of the Entrepreneur's MBA Podcast. You've been listening to The Entrepreneur's MBA. Download Adam's free book, How to Make More Money in Your Business, at www.freebookfromadam.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.